You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse, Earful of Dirt is the only podcast dedicated to Major League Rugby. Now, coming to you live from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Aaron Castro, coming to you from Arizona and still broken. So we'll get into recovery tips from broken bones today. Uh, I'm joined by Josh, who happens to be, you know, at a hotel in SF uh, doing some job training. Nick Henry, guest host tonight. Uh, Nick. You are our social media stats intern. That is what I refer to you as. But, uh, you know, before we get into it, uh, tell us about yourself. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, yeah, so I'm a big numbers dork. I really enjoy following the, uh, the, the growth of this league that we've been following for the last year and a half or so. Um, a little bit on my background, I, I started playing rugby my senior year in high school with, after a friend of mine, Matt Copeland, Started running around the football locker room after we, as we were getting close to the end of our senior season, and said, "Why not come out to rugby and hit some people? Don't lose a, uh, don't stop running around that once football's over." So that's what I did. Uh, joined that and uh, had a couple of uh, really good teachers that year. Teachers being uh, part of our part of our uh, our club. Our captain and vice captain were both uh, high school All Americans, the U19s at the time, and uh, from there played a little bit in college. Played at Texas A&M for a year or two, and then uh, played at University of Houston for a short bit. I've coached, uh, well, assistant coached high school teams and uh, JV high school team. I did a short stint uh, helping out with a collegiate women's team, and uh, you know continued playing off and on for the last twelve years or so. Outstanding. Um, if anyone has questions or wants to interact with the show, uh, hit up Corey, our producer. He's in the comments, in the control room, and on Twitter. So we'll get those. We'll get to those throughout the show. Uh, everyone else, how's your week been? It's been freaking hot as hell up here. I don't know about anybody else. It's uh, been in the 90s, about like 80% humidity, and gnats everywhere. So, like walking outside is a little bit of hell in Iowa right now. <laughs> Other than that, things are great. Josh, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I can't complain about the weather. It's 75, nice and breezy here. Uh, I got sunburned yesterday, so maybe a little complaint. I hope you took brought a uh, sweatshirt because uh, it gets cold in San Francisco. Uh so for those new to the podcast, uh, each Monday night we discuss news and rumors from Major League Rugby, the United States Professional Rugby Union competition. Uh, it's a chance to discuss the issues, hear from the league and team leadership, and check in our our friends across the U.S. rugby scene. Josh, what are we doing tonight? Uh, we're talking Austin, Utah, Seattle, Houston, Glendale, crushing Nola. Um, Looking back at our predictions from last week, making some more predictions, and we're looking ahead to USA and Russia. Uh, let's get to it. So, uh, first game of the week that we had was on ESPN. Uh, Austin defends their home, 
41 to 33 over Utah, and they happen to be undefeated in Round Rock. Um, so, so I guess Austin really isn't that bad. Uh, really didn't see the growth I thought I would see from Utah this week. And, uh, you know, Kurt Morath, like his boot has been really a part of, you know, this whole thing. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. They were really missing his, uh, his, his kicking ability, even from hand. Uh, just just being able to play on the side of the field that they wanted to play on or seemed to have wanted to play on the last few weeks. They just weren't able to do that without without Kurt Moratz, you know, cannon of a boot. It it did pick up a little when Ben Nichols came on the field, so mm-hmm. maybe that's something they want to look at while Kurt Morath is out. I, I You know, Johnny uh, Linehan, when he was starting at BYU – uh, was probably, you know, the best fly half in the country. Uh, but he's been out of the game for a little bit. You know, played football, tried to punt in the NFL for a little while. So I – and I think he's only really been in Utah's setup for like three weeks. So I, I don't think that decision to start him was really, I would say, smart. I think, you know, if, if Johnny had been in camp the entire time like Ben Nichols had, uh, he'd understand the game plan. And we've really seen the evolution of Utah. Uh, they're very, like, possession-based, and they kick – and Kurt was, you know, just kicking the ball deep and pinning it in the backs to give, you know, Utah possession uh, inside their opponent's 22. And it worked, you know, against, like, Houston, right? And it sort of worked against uh, Seattle, except the difference was a Seattle – was good enough offensively um, to just use the the little bit they had and score more points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, uh, it seems like Houston's biggest, uh, maybe not biggest issue, but their their attack ends up being much more. Uh, I guess it's, it's not really the the one channel, but that that one two channel just off the ruck almost constantly. They go forward, forward, forward. And then eventually they go out to the backs and almost always ends up as a kick or, or trying to find Vithi uh, as, as the danger man. And uh, when you're playing, a, it seems like the, the Utah game plan works really well against a team like that. That's, that's kind of working for uh, kind of, I don't know, maybe the Alabama style football, if, uh, if, that, uh, if that holds here. You know the 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 run down your throat until uh until you're tired and then try to then try to take it over the top. It doesn't really work if you're playing from your own half the entire time. Uh, the the teams like Seattle that that have shown that they can play from any any part of the field, obviously then you can can, can get away they can get away with things like that. Austin showed that they could they could they could attack from any side any, any part of the field as well. It was really impressive. I mean we hadn't seen that out of them yet. Yeah, uh, looking at you know Austin's attack, uh, I'm start. You're starting to see that growth of like the team get better together, and you're starting to be like you know in the back of your mind you're going, you're saying, hey, Alan Yarde, at least me, you know, I looked at him and it's like this guy is probably the most. This is the most qualified coach in the league. Period. Like straight up. So great resume. Yeah, great, great resume. Right. Um. So it's either. It's either going to work or it's not. Well, it's starting to work right now. Um, if you look at the two game plans, because let's go back to the first Utah-Austin game, how many times did 
they key in on Hanko, right? Mm-hmm. Hanko really wasn't a factor on offense this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had some good carries, but you know, he had a good assist or two as well. I mean, I, that they had one that really good break that led to uh to uh no, is it Welsh the the number nine? Welsh, Welsh. Welsh thank you. Yeah, his try was. I mean, that was almost purely set up. I mean, obviously, Walsh had his uh, flair at the end of it, but but that was mostly set up by the break by Hanko there. Yeah. Was there any case for that try being called back for um, obstruction? Walsh's. I haven't seen it that close. I'm not I sure. mean, I I'd, I'd need to rewatch that portion of the game, but I I don't think so. I mean, especially with the way they've been calling especially with how tight they've been calling games uh, mm. without TMO in place. You, I don't really have the angle on that. Yeah. But you gave me something good to go back and watch now <laughs> <laughs> on my rewatches of, through the week. Um, but so, you know, the, the key in on Hanko sort of shut pretty much shut him down for most of the match, but that seemed, seemed to open up everyone else. Yeah. And they took advantage of it. And then, I, I like um, that Suniola is still considered a threat because Zinzan's second try was set up by Utah collapsing on Andrew and hit him off loading to Zinzan for the try. Yeah. So, yeah, Zinzan, uh, Zinzan was great. Uh, two tries. Uh, you know, you look at him. It, is it me or just people getting used to getting hit hard? Because <laughs> – for the most part, you're not seeing a lot of, uh, you know, Feitu, Vinicolo, and uh, Paul Lasique just running shot on people. Uh, mm-hmm. Guys are – I think guys are used to it now. Uh, we're at the point where speed and physicality in this season, guys aren't – I wouldn't say people were afraid to take on Paul Lasique, but I think people didn't know what they were going to get. Whereas, you know, Zinzan's throwing his body in there, and Zinzan is a – significantly smaller than big Paul is. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he knew how to tackle like that. I think a lot of guys are trying to tackle upper body, whereas with guys like Fetu Vanicolo and Paul Asike, you kind of have to tackle them around their legs. Yeah, it's really your only chance, especially with, with well, obviously the CK, but but Vanicolo has got so, – he's got he's so shifty, he's so so quick laterally. That you really need to, to to get into his hips, otherwise you're not gonna you're really not gonna stand much of a chance. It seems like, um, you know, for, for me the bright spot of uh, Utah was to not allow T. Like when he had the ball, God, he's right up. Yeah, Lauti is 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 he's one of my he's one of my favorite. Like for me, it was a breakout player because I I had never really known who he was before this season, but uh. As a as a break onto the scene type of player, in my opinion, considering I didn't know who he was, uh, man, he's yeah, dude, there was an interesting play. I forget. I think it was in the second half. He got caught on the sideline, but got out of the tackle and was able to gain like 20, 30 extra meters. He's a Lauti is an extremely evasive runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he his vision is very interesting and. You know, Josh, you're talking about tackles that he can get out of. He gets out of a lot of tackles. <laughs> it's he's not terribly large, right? No, no, he might be six foot, um, and he's not big. But I, I mean, on the wing, like five eight, one seventy five or something. 
I need I need I to look around my size. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's not a terribly big guy. I think he's a little bit bigger than that, but he's not you know just a massive human being or anything. But yeah, but even still, he's able, like you said, he's able to find that space in the tackle. He's able to create the space in close contact and 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 force through even big guys trying to take him down. It's really really fun to watch. There was an interesting switch that Alf Daniels made that I'm kind of questioning. Mm-hmm. Um, putting Lote to Peloto a loose head, then relegating Alex Tucci to the bench. I I, I don't get it, to be honest. Uh, it was uh, – I mean, Lote didn't perform well at, at loose head uh, when you watched that game. Uh, he was uh, – if I was going to uh, say that uh, Pedri, no, not Pedri, but Patty Ryan is back in form, I would use this tape because I think uh, I think Patty Ryan won that battle every time, and uh, it was it was not in uh, Loti's uh, favor throughout the game, uh, and then you know there was a significant difference when Tucci did come off. <laughs> Yeah, they, they seemed to, to get much more stable. The, the scrums got much more stable when he got back when he got in. I would agree with that. But it, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought I remembered Tui Peloto's name uh, being bounced around when uh, during pro. Is that am, am I misremembering? Am I mi- remembering? No, you're, you're, you're you're remembering right. Um, yeah. he, I mean, he was. Was he with San Diego at the time, or uh, either that or Sacramento? I thought I think I it was. I think it was with Sacramento. Because uh, okay. I know he played with the Sacramento Blackhawks in uh, okay. club rugby, so I think he was just uh, you know pulled into Sacramento. And like as far as scrummages are concerned, that like club program put a lot of dudes into pro, and yeah. uh, they have a few guys that are scattered throughout MLR. I need to look at specific player bios, but mm. they had a lot of like front row guys going to pro. It was kind of interesting because I guess they have a <laughs> talking to, uh, you know, one of the guys from NorCal, they have a lot of, I mean, that, that club has a lot of Islanders on it. So it's very, uh, and they, and they scrum, like they turn out scrummagers. So, um, Josh, do you have anything to round this one up before we move on to uh Saturday's matchup? Uh, is this a nice performance by Timothy Guillemong? Nice kicking performance, uh, especially as I guess they didn't do too well, but um, in the second half, kind of pushed Austin over the hump at the end. Yeah, the for Guillemot, I think he really had to adjust to the wind, and that was something that Johnny wasn't able to adjust to like really well at all. And uh, you know, in the second half, uh, you know, he was. Let me look at this. Um, one, two. So of his kicks, he made. Uh, he had one miss in the second half, whereas I think he had like three misses in the first half. And granted, they they switched sides, but that win was still shitty. So, um, so moving on to Seattle, uh, they went down to Houston, and it was a bit different. Uh, I I really want. I thought this game was going to be pretty good. Uh, some people didn't like it, uh, and. I look at that roster that they put out and you're wondering is, you know, Phil uh, resting his guys. Cause you know, the team is basically player run at this point uh, with, cause Phil is the head coach. Is he resting his guys or is he thinking different based on how he scouted? Are they, is he doing 
Gary Gold a solid by resting Khalifi in the first half, but why is Metcher on uh, the you know on the bench? But if you it's I, I look at uh, Nick if you if you think about this, do you look at your scrummagers like a unit, like uh, you know offensive lines work in football, basically to where. Usually, if you're gonna put if you're gonna put in backups, you would just change the whole thing, and yeah. that that's sort of what I think happened. Except they just started Barkwell, but you would y- use your props as a unit. You change them both out at the same time. That's what I think they wanted to do because they knew that humidity was gonna be the problem, right. and they wanted to provide lift, and they felt confident in you know uh, Shepard and Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see I could see the the advantage of that. And I think man, I feel like I've seen that happen a time or two in watching, but uh in my opinion, uh a tight head I mean not every tight head's a tight head and loose head's a loose head, but I mean you know once you know the techniques of that position, that this I mean the specialized position to your left or right, uh as long as your hooker knows who he's working with, generally I think uh you can almost work as individuals as opposed to as a uh, as a general unit though i can though at the same time there are there, i could see the benefits of, of doing a line change so to speak uh, as you were as you were saying i honestly i don't know i'm i'm, I'm not i'm not the grant cole of the world right i'm not I'm no. i mean as a hooker like you're uh as long as you work with people, it, it, I don't think it matters. I think it's more about, you know, the stability of your locks and how those two, your your tight head and loose head, really work together. Yeah. Um, how they work with you is very important, but um, you need to be able to match the push that they both give right. uh, on each so side so that you can, you know, drive straight and square and right. not uh, receive penalties, personally. Uh, I think that in the first half, scrummage-wise, uh, Houston was winning this battle. I, I think they won the battle yeah, overall, so. um, but there was a big difference when Khalifi started the second half mm-hmm. and then Mitchell came on for the last 30 for, for Seattle. I, I really wanted to see that battle be the start between Khalifi and, uh, you know, Mullen. It would be Mullen, because, yeah. because they're in camp together, right? They were at Eagles mini camp together the week, uh, you know, earlier in the week, and I, I really wanted to see that go right away, but they didn't right. need uh, – they obviously showed that they wanted to have two fresh loose heads to go up against Mullen for 80 minutes. That's, that's – that's, I mean, I think, I, think Mullen, I think Mullen earned that uh, – distinction or the the honor of, of uh you know having two different people having to go against him uh from the top from the get-go uh it seemed to me watching from the stands that uh that the the loose set whoever started at loose set i can't remember if um who it was starting skeeter for uh houston and barkwell for seattle no no, no at, at loose head at, uh, oh, at loose head for uh, mike shepherd shepherd Oh wow, that's uh, that's that's a little surprising because he's he's a name that's that's around a little bit. Uh, Wait, no, to I'm me wrong. that that Mullen. Was, uh, I just fucked that one up. Killing Gordon. <laughs> Gordon. Okay, 
Even still, he's a, he's a big guy. He's a he's a he's not a he's not a bad loose head at, at all. And, that, and I'm not saying he's a, I didn't I'm not saying his performance was necessarily bad, but it seemed to me that Mullen was just eating his lunch most of the day. It seemed I've multiple times I saw his, him losing his bind over and over again and, and just dropping uh, a couple scrums in a row from uh, from my side. Not I mean obviously I'm seeing from the the stand side, so opposite the the camera and unfortunately the ref was often on the other side as well so it wasn't always called but you know such is life in the scrum well you yeah. know you got a good player um because the eagles squad is now almost fully or is fully professional yeah you know you got a good player that commands respect when he's called into the squad without having appeared in the season yeah that was uh that was pretty intense uh, <laughs> just gets called uh you know, and uh, now he's good to go. Uh, and he's made, it, he's made it through whatever, uh, you know, whatever death camp they just went through. Obviously, we we lost to, uh, what was it, David Tamalau and uh, Tony Lamborn. Tony uh, Lamborn didn't so make I, it through. I, so. I think we'll, we'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, my fault. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was an interesting change, to be honest. Um, although I would, I would have called up. Matt Jensen over Greg Peterson. That's just ah, you took one out. You took one out from me. I was I was gonna make that uh I was gonna make that during the last uh this pound. <laughs> yeah, I, I was going back to the to the Utah game. I'm actually very surprised not to see Matt Jensen in camp, considering I I think he's really upped his game with this uh with MLR. I mean, every it seems like every carry he's making at least making a meter, but he's making pretty le- pretty nice legitimate uh five meter runs multiple yeah. times and still a force in the line out. Yeah. It, so going back to the Seawolves and you know how their offense worked, they seemed to, they, they, they played a lot of just quick ball. They cycled the ball back to the, their backs very efficiently. Went with, you know, a lot of what I've seen from Austin is like short offloads, just, you know, good support running mm-hmm. uh, for me. Phil Max form in the last three matches is, you know, the best, I've seen him uh, since I started watching him uh, like three or four years ago. And did he play this good when he was 25? <laughs> hey, man, quality's got – what is it? Uh, quantity's got a quality all its own, right? Qual- quantity of years, at least in this in this case. Yeah. There, there is one thing I noticed, and it's kind of a pattern throughout the league. Um, the teams that have the hardest time generally are playing the flattest ball. And the teams that are having the most success are the ones that are running onto the pass. Um, you could kind of see it with Glendale. Seattle did it, and Austin did it. Utah does it a little, but a lot of the times, um, I mean, like Houston was having troubles because they were playing flat ball yep. and they weren't running onto the pass. Yeah, I, I mean, so anybody who knows me, like, I mean, Dan will probably, Dan probably said, like, if I, if I thought of what team you rooted for, it, it was like, he said it was Houston. Right. And, you know, I've met a lot of these guys. I've talked to a lot of these guys on Houston and we've got some really great individual players and great people. So I really root for them to like, just get after it. And, you know, I've been to, you know, one of coach Patrick's practices, they run things pretty at a pretty fast clip and very efficiently. So I, I really don't know what is going on, uh, you know, in the, like what is going on leading up to the games. Cause these are like in like great practices that you never see any of this stuff at like the club level, but I watch these games and there seems to be a disconnect. 
with how their game plan is. Uh, their struggle, uh, especially with how they're cycling the ball. Uh, Josh talked about how, like, uh, you know, they're they're playing a lot of flat ball. But, you know, up front, uh, in the scrummage and the lineout, they've got, they've got the pieces to, you know, win. I think they've got the pieces in the back line, but there's just, like, a mental – like a mental break that is not working, like sort of um, in the preseason VC got the ball a lot. And oh I think people gosh. are, the people are really starting to isolate Kalinisau and VC. And, you know, if you've looked at how Houston has played, they've played, they've been crashing a bit too much because they run basically the same offense that Austin does but you can run the one three two two differently. And I think, you know, Austin's running wide. They're, they're trying to run wide and fast. I think that's the intent here, but we're just uh, – guys just aren't getting up. And there maybe it's because I, I don't really know what the problem is, but the forwards and the backs, there's a disconnect in their game plan and how they're trying to execute. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. As you said, they're trying to run a similar system to Austin, but uh... – the the like you said there's a disconnect between the forwards and the backs it seems that they houston likes to uh go pack ball almost all the way across the field at times it very very uh uh what do you call that uh conservative type of type of attack at times and uh what i noticed during during the game multiple times was they would they would continue that that uh, conservative attack and seattle would just leave half the field completely uncovered and follow the forwards. If they're going, say we're going left to right on the field, they would leave the entire left side completely uncovered because Houston wasn't going to use it. They were just going to continually march shorter and shorter, uh, shorten the field as much as they could, working all the way across the field. And then eventually they'd go back the other way once the forward, once the backs all set up over there. And then again they would do it. Do it. Uh, it almost seems like uh, it seems to me, at least this is my opinion. But I'd love to hear your, your yours on it. Is a uh, it almost seems like the Utah attack with Kurt Morath would be a similar, uh, would be an advantageous attack plan for Houston. Play, uh, play kickball with the uh, with the other team for a little bit. Try to win the kicking battle, the position battle for a little bit, and then use your. Sem- I mean, they were relative. I think they were relatively stout on defense against against a good attack in Seattle. Uh, if you can play good defense in the other team's half, force them to kick, then you set yourself up to uh, have much better attacking position. Yeah, I, I, I work really well with with uh, uh, Sam Windsor. Sam Windsor, thank you. Sam yeah. Windsor, you know. Sam Windsor can put the ball anywhere, right? So I think that would be a significant adjustment if they could just, if they play possession game and they just they just did what Utah was doing. I'm not saying do it the exact same way, but mm-hmm. you just pin the other team back and force them to make mistakes because it was a defensive battle most of the game, right? So if you just pin them back, you play hard defense, and then you hit the gap when you're within the 22, you know, you're going to have a shot, right? And here they didn't play the possession game and, you know, they committed too many penalties. Uh, Windsor is uncapped for those that want to know. However, he's not qualified for the U.S. yet, but I think we have a long line. Sorry. But I think also I've seen Windsor coach – um, I think he's got a very bright future as a coach in the U.S. Um, in like about five years. So, yeah, I think uh, 
than typing. He's got about a year more to, you know. I think that's right. Uh, be a resident, and if, I've seen I've seen worse things happen. But if we get a bunch of injuries and he's qualified, he's probably uh, you know the the informed fly half that uh, is putting his hand up for selection that is in the U.S. right now. So, um, Nick, yes, sir. Fan activation. Fan activation. Houston does it really well. They're uh, I've I've been to a couple places now, a couple of uh of the stadiums down here now, and I I think Houston does a really good job of their uh of their fan activation in in person at the stadium. Obviously, they're and we'll get to that later, but their social media numbers kind of kind of show that as well. I think, and uh, yeah, they were giving out these uh. These lovely little light up thunder sticks. You can't slam them together, and the light comes on. It was really cool. Uh, they had sponsor giveaways beforehand. With uh, some new gym was opening up, and they came out to give away some good stuff. Uh, had the 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 players that weren't on the bench this week were out there to to sign autographs, which I'm sure other uh, teams do as well. Uh, and uh, the Lady Cats are uh, quite the show. They got out there and danced a little and. Through T-shirts and led cheers, it was a good time. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think Houston's done a great job. Uh, you know, one thing I did notice, like they were they were loud this week. You guys were you guys were getting after it. Hey, I think the night game helped that a little. I I was just talking to someone earlier about uh, uh, another team here in the South. How. Uh, how warm it is and how much that's really affected the crowds itself. And uh, uh, specifically how allowing night games for those of us that, uh, you know, have to deal with this hundred degree heat uh, would be, and is uh, very beneficial. I think, I think uh, Houston had what I think their best number, their best attendance of the year. Yeah. Uh, Houston's Houston's grown had a pretty much pretty good linear growth so far, but this night game, uh, you know, for for regular season attendance, this night game was a massive difference for them. And I think when you're going to play games in the South, uh, you know, in Houston, Austin, and New Orleans at this time of year, gotta they got to be night games. That's yeah, my it's it's a necessity. I mean, at this point, it's it was. I've been to so two of the New Orleans games I've been to have been those midday, just scorchers. Man, it, it is it is hot. And I think those days weren't even as warm as it is now, you know. So, uh, if it's possible, which I know New Orleans doesn't quite have their their lights yet, but I believe they I believe they will next season. Uh, it, it's really going to open up possibilities for them to grow. I think. I yeah, think that'll it, well for the crowds. I think they'll be getting lights in like August for when football season comes in or something like that because uh, they're playing home games and. Uh, yeah, I'm not playing day games in September in New Orleans. No. <laughs> not in those pads, man. No, thank you. Uh-uh. But uh, moving on to the final match of the weekend, Glendale came down to New Orleans. And, uh, well, they ripped the hearts out of that crowd. I'll tell you what. <laughs> hey, the scoreline could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, there's a player I'll talk about that uh, kept uh, kept New Orleans in the game. Uh, for for all of the first half and really stopped it from being much worse. Uh, but for me, you know, I'll probably send a note, uh, ask talk 
uh, to talk to Mark uh, Bullock and Coach David Williams. But this is like, even though they scored 47 points, for me, the Raptors didn't look good. <laughs> oh, I, What do my, you think, my, Josh? This is your team. My, yeah. my, my question was, is did Glendale cruise or was Nola that bad? I almost want to say Glendale was that bad, but they were just able to capitalize more on Nola's mistakes. I don't know if the the two week layoff with it. I mean, they kind of had handling issues against San Diego before they went on this two week bye, but it just seemed like the layoff didn't help. It almost made it worse. Yeah, for me, I am of the opinion that so far in the season, the bye week has not been kind to teams, and they had two bye weeks. The difference was, is hey, they're undefeated, and I think they are like, for the most part you know, the most talented team uh, in the league uh, when you go top to bottom, I think, you know, there's going to be a, a chance for a great final right now between Seattle and Glendale. But the difference is, is they have a full staff and the, the core of this group has been together for so long. And, you know, I'm looking at this team, right? So Sean Davies. How much has his game really changed? I don't remember him pl- being an athletic player, like executing, you know, quick carries around the ruck, being a cr- crazy man, like tackling dudes that are twice his size, and uh, you know, really getting in the open field. You know, for Sh- I, I, Sean Davies, I've always been a fan of his game because it's been like core scrum halfing, right? Mm-hmm. Ball like ball speed, ruck management, and then he's. Now he's running all over the place. Like this, this is a different Sean Davies and talking to a dude that's just getting older and it's kind of crazy to watch. I almost want to say he developed a fucking attitude. I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> and, and maybe that's what happens when you become the captain. Um, you got you to gotta bring a little moxie um, to your game. And that's, that's what's going on. I almost wonder um, if the – the Uruguay match in the ARC when he started that fight on the sideline <laughs> had a little to do with it. You know, everyone's talking about like, everyone wants to get mad about scrum halves and like people are talking about Holden Younger. I'll say Holden Younger behaved himself this game. And like Sean Davies is a guy that would like, <laughs> Sean, 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 Sean Davies will get you in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I remember if I remember correctly, Holden tried stuff when Nola came here and Sean basically shut him down. Oh, I wonder if he carried oh, over. Yeah, they, they got it. Those two like got into it. It was kind of funny. <laughs> I was like, it's like when the two scrum has get into it, it's like front rows are like, I'm just going to go over here. You, you, <laughs> you do what you want. Like those, ugh. but uh, I, yeah, they, I mean, I don't know why people get worried about scrum halves. It's like in their job description to like cause fights on the pitch. I don't, I don't know what, why that is, but uh, you know, it's what they do. Somebody's got to so, bring some heat to the fire, man. But um, uh, you know, another player for me, and uh, you know, we'll talk about him later in the show because he was selected uh, player of the week by Major League Rugby is Will McGee, mm. like. People keep talking about how he's probably going to be by behind Will Hooley, you know, in the in the pecking order. But how much has his game improved, you know, throughout this season? I think a lot 
because I think he finally realizes or we now have enough talent at the 10 position that he can't cruise. I almost felt he was like on autopilot the past couple of years. But now that there's um, Ben Sima's there, uh, Will Hooley's there, AJ McGinty, there's a number of, there's a, a boatload of talent at that position now that we didn't have before. And I feel like he've, that kind of brought on this switch in mentality for him. Yeah, I, I think I don't I don't necessarily know if he's like feeling the heat per se, but I think he understands that he needs to perform. And you know, I'm a big fan of Will. Uh, you know, and he's a great dude. But I can't believe how much his game has gotten better. And it's it's and it's you know, sort of in concert with Sean's uh you know, game. So it's very it's very interesting to see that happen, right? But it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good summer for that guy. Yeah, I honestly think it might may even be partly the the level of competition that that's that is bringing it out of him almost. I mean, it's not like I mean, I, from the times I've the only times I've seen him in the, in the past year or so, year two or so, have been in pro and in uh, any USA any USA tap Tim USA caps. Uh, but he's been consistently great this whole season and getting better. I think it, it, I have to agree. I thought, honestly, I think it's the level of competition that's bringing it out, out of players. It's the the needed competitive edge to uh, continually do this week in week out. And yeah, honestly, I, if if it wasn't for Sam Windsor's just boot of a leg, I honestly think Will McGee would be up there in MVP consideration. Yeah, I, you know, Will, Will, I think Will's in the discussion, to be honest. I, I don't think he's not in the discussion. I think you've got, uh, I think you could say it's probably along the lines of, uh, I, if I was going to go like five guys, Billy Tola Tuau, Tola Tau, um, Phil Mack, uh, Sam Windsor. Hanko, yep, and uh, you know Will McGee. That those would be the five guys that were I would put on my writers ballot that we'll have to do because we're running the writers poll. <laughs> and uh, but uh, I to talk about Nola, uh, the guy who was the standout for me. I thought Hubert, uh, I thought Hubert Biden's uh, was able to uh, compete very well against Kalepi Fafita, which allowed the uh, Nola scrum to be stable throughout this thing. And they, they didn't really uh, get to beat uh, for the most part, but the guy who was the standout for me is Matt Houston. His defensive work rate was pretty ridiculous. Uh, you know, and you, you see him the way he plays all the time. He's uh, <sighs> the best way I can explain it is, if you look at a women's Eagle, that is one of my favorite players is Christiane file. She plays like a maniac all the time. Cause she's very undersized as a flanker. Uh, and that's the game I see from Matt Houston. He just plays, you know, sort of out of body and you find him around rucks. You find him around every tackle. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I 
put Joey Stock as my Nola man of the match, but now that I thought about got a day to think about it, I probably should have given it to Cam Troxler. I mean, he had a hell of a match. Um, it's nice to nice to see somebody stand out in the kind of throwaway game for Nola. Yeah, Cam Troxler, uh, definitely a a good guy that you know hadn't seen him play a lot, and then you know all of a sudden, you know he's starting at fullback and he does a really good job uh, offensively. And then you know when he, when they were able to put pressure by kicking the ball down the field, so. Yeah, and obviously, Sorry. Eric, you just you just graduated from LSU. What, maybe two months ago? Not even think, a, a month I ago. I, I don't think he graduated. I think he finished classes. Because <laughs> <laughs> what did they have graduation like in April or like? It was uh yeah it was I just uh, two weeks ago actually was the okay bit and all that. So nice. I'm getting shorter and shorter and shorter time span here. But um, so. That about I guess I have one one more question to ask kind of okay. you, what is going on in Nola because they've almost done the reverse of Austin whereas right. Austin kind of started slow and has gotten hot Nola started hot and then has kind of faded to the background um it's the rugby gods man they have not been kind they uh you yeah. know uh Injuries have just been really bad for them. Uh, Zach Striffler, I think, is out for the rest of the season. Um, Amro Gouda is out for a couple of weeks. I'm not sure if he's out for the rest of the season. He might be. So they lost their backup hooker uh, because Howard, uh, right? Cam Falcon um, – well, and Howard is away with Canada now. And then Cam Falcon has been, you know, rotating in a, as the starter at tighthead prop. Uh, between him and Ben Tarr, it's about they've split about half the time, and so he's now forced to play uh, hooker full time. Because yes, Alex Janoka was on the roster, but he wasn't seeing a lot of time behind Eric Howard and Amaraguda. And uh, if you guys paid attention, a Rooney player, Anthony Party, Anthony Perry is a. Uh, um, looks like he's been loaned out to uh, fill in the void for injuries uh, down in NOLA. Right so he was uh, war number 18 on Saturday. So so I guess that kind of leads into a completely separate question from this game. Um, we see Rooney is being confirmed and having their players loaned out. If DC doesn't join next year as – we're assuming they're either joining 2019 or 2020. Do they become the quote unquote farm team? I I think if they, so if they don't join right away in 2019, cause they left it open when they released their like season ticket, uh, you know, deposit. Mm-hmm. If they actually execute the same model, which they said they were going to do originally, right. Is they said that they were going to field a team in an exhibition season that would play against top clubs and some MLR teams in preseason fixtures, yeah. so that they can like start building for depth. Uh, if they do that, then yeah, I would see those contracted players get um, loaned out uh, when injuries strike because I-, I keep trying to do the math on where all the players are going to come from, mm-hmm. and if you look at the squads. Uh, 
if you say most of the squads are 35 guys, let's say max 35, although Utah has more than 35 guys that they've suited up. So uh, if you look at it that, I know where the Rooney players are coming from. So you take the loans back, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got like five guys to f- add to old rosters. Mm-hmm. But some so, look a little bit like a Ponzi scheme. Where where do you? Uh, yeah, where where are you gonna? F- I, I'm really tr- struggling. Like where, unless a lot of college kids come in, and you know some guys move. Mm-hmm. I wonder. Uh, I wonder where the next the other seventy players are going to come from because I know that Rooney has their squad. I know that New York has their squad. I don't know if if it's going to be Dallas. I don't know where their players are coming from. Uh, I mean, yes, there are the Reds and the Colts or the the Quins, and you know, there's a decent rugby scene that plays D one up in in Dallas, but. They could probably Shreveport as well, but I mean, it's even still, that's two. I mean, one large, large city. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna have players come from elsewhere. But I'm right. trying to think, like, how many players that are at this level do we have? Because we've seen the standard in Division One club rugby just drop over the past five years, right? Like this year, you know, shout out to Liam, but Mystic only won five games, and three of those were in the playoffs. Mm this year so but so where are the the 70 players of this standard going to come from is my concern and you know we've seen uh, they're talking about raising the international player limit to eight uh to deal with this but that still you know leaves you with 56 players you have to find mm-hmm. so it almost begs the question where um if it's worth staying at 10 team 10 domestic teams or 12 domestic teams uh, a little longer before uh growing starting catch you up well I, I i think you have to go to non areas that have teams so dallas kind of will definitely be the last team and it should be the last team in texas i think oh. dc will be fine because they can draw from the tri-state area of virginia maryland and pennsylvania i think they'll be fine Northern California, um, a central team. So Chicago was like was likely Kansas City has interest. One of those, one or maybe both of those could work. And then I think something in the deep south. I know Atlanta had mentions, so maybe that's as far as you go well, until we until we get the level of rugby high enough in this country. I think the level of most of these teams is going to raise. So, how do where are the players going to come from so that you don't dilute the uh, the process? Say say it's not Dallas because I think it is. Um, say and you're trying to find two, and then that the pairing of Ontario and Vancouver is no longer at play, and you can have either or, and we're going to just have ten. Well, one Canadian team, you're going to find the players. I think if you added two Canadian teams, you're going to find the players more than you're going to find, uh, you know, 70 Americans, right? That, now I think Ontario has kind of proven that they would fit in just fine as they are and maybe even fit even even find a couple more talented players around Canada if they need to fill in. 
Yeah, well, I, I think that so, so say it's not Dallas and say it's Ontario and say it's D.C. Mm. That now leads you to only have to find, you know, those 30 players. And there are high performance squads that, you know, are on the East Coast. You have the USA South Panthers and you have the Capital Selects. You get, say you split the team between those two and then you get some guys from, you know, the tri-state area to come down then it starts to look more manageable, but it's, it's really about guys being able to find jobs, like 20 of these dudes being able to find day jobs, right. right? Um, that they can deal with for the next couple of years. So I, I think for me, that's, that's a big issue that needs to be evaluated carefully. Mm-hmm. If, say, if, say it's Ontario, just Ontario out of Canada. Do they become Canada? A, do they become like, the Irish and Welsh teams in the Pro 14, where like it's just the develop it's development purely for the Canadian national team. Uh, I mean, some of those guys, some of those guys will get selected. Period. Like right, like some of those guys will, mm-hmm. but they have they still have a good amount of overseas based players. But the rest of like this is how it gets dumb for Canada. They have like an overseas training group, so all the guys that play professionally overseas, and then you have you know your players that are playing in the MLR, and then the rest of them they have a centralized training group, which mm-hmm. Rugby Canada in the middle of the BC Premier League season, uh, banned their centralized training group players from playing with their clubs in the BC Premier oh. League. Huh. So <laughs> there's all sorts of weird stuff going on up there. Um, but, uh, what do you, what is, uh, you know, one of the things that you want to wrap this one up with Nick? Um, I'm, I'm happy to see, uh, JP Eloff back off of, uh, off of his supposed sickness or whatever it was ailing him. Very happy to see him back on the field. I, I really like that Eloff, uh, Howden 10, 12 pairing. Uh, I know some people have had issues with Howden's defense, but I, I, I think he's a very creative 12 and uh, put him with a with a I don't know they don't necessarily have a Rasalika or a or a Lasike type center, but if they did, I think that would go really well with a Howden at twelve, and uh, be quite uh quite fun to watch if they if they had a little bit more you know a little bit more uh, depth at centers. Unfortunately, they they have what they have, and uh. Happy to see Cam Troxler get the start, and I'm glad Josh said that he he did well. Unfortunately, I didn't see the game, so uh, I won't know that until I don't know later tonight or tomorrow when I get to get around to watching the game. So uh, moving on, uh, look at player accolades from Major League Rugby. Major League Rugby uh, named William Muggy uh, mm-hmm. as Player of the Week. Uh, you know his performance was really good. Uh, you know, I, I wrote up the write-up on that selection, so I can't really uh, – <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, he got it, right? And then uh, the play of the week was the face and Donahoe intercept try. Mm. Any comments on that? It just set the tone for that game, didn't it? It's uh, Utah liked to try to go too wide and go, go wide quickly, and uh, Utah – I mean, Austin wasn't going to have it, it seemed. I don't know. I thought Will, Will McGee's could have been put up there too. Mm. And game of the week. What did you guys have? I said 
Austin, Utah, you know, because of really what it signifies. Uh, we really saw them both grow last week. I, I figured that Utah was going to continue their growth, but we really see, you know, Austin at home and then they did everything they needed to, to make the jump and how this sets them up for uh, this game against a very hot Seawolves uh, on Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to put uh, Houston versus Seattle because I, I really enjoyed the defensive battle that it was and the, and the scrums were fun to watch as well. Uh, but I, I, I decided on U- Austin, Utah for a similar reason. It's a big step forward for Austin getting that much closer to clenching a, a playoff berth. And uh, uh, they're, they seem to be building some real continuity uh, with their team and, and, and looking to challenge maybe hopefully a little bit in the, in the playoffs. I thought uh, I chose Austin, Utah as well. Um, I kind of, while Seattle and Houston was a good game, both of the other games outside of Austin, Houston were kind of ant to me. Hey guys, I'll jump in too and uh, share my thoughts. Cause you know, I'm a big softy when it comes to this sort of stuff. And uh, I love rugby, but I also love family time. And I got to uh, take the laptop over and actually show my uh, folks their very first uh, rugby match. So it's awesome. Yeah, it was a lot of fun um, trying to talk them through, make comparisons to football and stuff they understand. And, uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed the Glendale-Nola game for that reason, um, just because it was a nice Sunday afternoon. Uh, it was time when they were available and uh, weren't gra- didn't have a bunch of grandkids running around. So Yeah, I was doing the same thing with my brother's new girlfriend at the game, just talking her through the basics. Stealing your brother's girlfriend. Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. (laughs) Uh, So let's look back at our week seven predictions. Uh, Utah at Austin. Uh, The margin ended up being eight points. I had Utah by five. Sorry. Got to make sure I unmute my mic. I had Utah by 10. And then Victor had Utah by seven and... I Someone had, was close. Yeah, I had Austin by seven. That was that's that was a great call. Um, the Saturday's game, Seattle at SaberCats, twenty to seven. I had Seattle minus seven. I had Seattle minus three. Victor had Seattle minus ten. So good for him. And I had Seattle uh, minus fourteen. So you win that one, Corey. And the final game of the weekend. Uh, wow. <laughs> we were way off. Uh, Glendale at New Orleans, forty-seven to ten. I had Glendale minus three. I thought the humidity in the bye week was just going to give them a kick in the schnoz, but it did not. Josh, um, I had Glendale minus five. I thought the Seattle game might have been a wake-up call, but obviously not. And then Victor had Glendale minus ten. Congrats to him. And I was the furthest away on this one. I actually had Nola winning by three. So I thought maybe some home field magic was going to take place. It did not. So this week uh, we have on Friday Seattle returning to humidity on Friday at Round Rock playing Austin Elite. Um, I'm going Seattle minus two. I'm going Austin. I'm going Austin to continue their undefeated home streak. I got Austin by three. Yeah, Austin's got that uh, that home field advantage, it seems. But I, 
I can't overlook Seattle's attack is just incredible. I think they're going to win by seven or so. And I'm putting Seattle up by 14 on this one just because they're handling themselves and they got their uh, eyes on the prize at the end of the season here. I don't think they're going to stumble now. Then on Saturday, we have the Sabercats traveling to Glendale. That's also on Friday. That's also on Friday? Same time. Same time on Friday, and then San Diego Nola's on Saturday. What? Yeah. That freaked me me out. And USA Rushes on Saturday, too. Is is that right? Yes, that is. Uh, It's about Saturday, Saturday. That won't be terrible. I think it's about an hour after the Glendale game. I did. They both games are on Friday. That's yep. weird. Nine PM Eastern. Because that, that's why I'm not leaving on Friday for my vacation. <laughs> we were originally we were originally going to leave on Friday, but the game's on Friday, so I'm going to the game, taking my pictures, and then we're leaving 3 a.m. the next morning. Jesus, oh, that's um, dedication right there. All right, so I got that one way off. Um, that means I have to do more work. <laughs> that's gonna be tough how do you watch two games at the same time um so i've got glendale minus five because they lose six guys right and you know you lose your fly half and your scrum half i think that's gonna have significant impact i got glendale minus seven uh see who they get to replace um will mcgee i think um um, Maximo de Acheval can do the kicking, but it's interesting to see who they place at 10. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Mika Cruz was a fly half in high school. So he's been playing a lot. I wonder if they'll use him at fly half. That would be very interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's a, that's that's kind of what, what led to me picking how I did. Uh, I I'm a little torn on this one because I can't I can't see Houston going to the altitude and doing terribly well, but their defense uh, can be disruptive, and especially with a new nine ten connection, uh, I can see that having some effect on on Glendale and in the scrums considering they're they're going to be losing uh, Ben Landry and uh, Dylan Fawcett. Uh, anyone else? I don't think they're losing. Any they problem. they lose most of their spine, so you got Fawcett yeah. out, you got Davies out, you got. Yeah. Quill. Uh, um, oh, Quill's out too. I know Quill got called in. Or don't remember. No, Quill got called in? No. Was he not? No. So no, he's not. It's, it's, he's there. He has in the past, but. He, he hasn't Fawcett. been called in in this camp. So. It's Fawcett, Landry, Davies, McGee, and somebody and else. And who else? In uh, center. Oh, oh Bryce, Bryce Campbell. Bryce Campbell. So right. who else? That's five. That's that's it. I think it's five. But someone kept saying six, and I, I don't I don't know who it is. I have the list. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's not. not it's not Quill. I know that. Although Quill would have been, you know, a good addition. That wouldn't that wouldn't be bad um, with laying it out. So to the squad. So, uh, Corey, who do you have? Well, I took a bunch of shrooms before writing this out, so um, I went ahead and said that uh, Glendale was going to win by thirty because. Um. Yeah, I just think Sabercats are plummeting fast and hard right now. And our final match of the weekend, which is on Saturday, uh, San Diego at New Orleans. You know, when I thought San Diego was going to rise, 
they played like crap in the humidity and this game is not at a good time. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going New Orleans, even with all their injuries, minus one. I'm sticking with San Diego. I think they they figured it out. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with their losses since they're losing the most. They're losing seven guys. So, But I still got San Diego minus five. Yeah, I picked uh, Nola minus three here, uh, mainly because of the heat. Uh, just, I just pulled it up really quickly. It will be 91 degrees and a little bit shady, so maybe they'll have a little break. But uh, losing seven guys and coming into this uh, this swampy, you know. Shady? Shady, that doesn't that doesn't mean good, man. That, that means it's going to hold everything. It means it's like putting a cap, putting a cap on everything, so you're just going to feel it. It's going to be nasty. <laughs> And I'm going to go with uh, Nola by five. Um, I think it'll be close, but I don't think it's going to be. I think they'll win it. I really do. Um, going into transactions this week, San Diego added uh, Life West Scrum Half and Eagles Camp player from the ARC, Devereaux Ferris. They added Brock Davies, who uh, played football at Colorado State Pueblo, but he's a, an Australian-New Zealand mix I think his mother is Australian, father is uh, a Kiwi. He played Union and League previously before coming to the States. And then Sam Perry, who was a high school All-American and went to U of A and was playing at San Francisco Golden Gate. Uh, Nola adds Anthony Party, Anthony Perry from Rugby United New York on loan. And I think that was it for additions this week. So, going into oh, I was going to say is yeah, and then we also got uh, we've got a national match coming up. Sorry, I was just trying to help you out there. Oh, he was he was giving me a throw. Yeah, dick. Um, so let's look at Eagles versus Russia. I'm not going to lie about this. Uh, I, I look at this purely as a warm up for Scotland. What do you guys think? Yeah, that seems about right. I mean, we crushed them last time. Well, I wouldn't say crush them, but we shut them out last time we played them. So, and yeah. they got there in World Cup qualifying pure, by pure circumstance. Yeah. Um, I mean, in seven meetings, we're undefeated. And in 2016, as you mentioned, we beat them, you know, pretty handily, 25 to zero. And that was like, we just had the beginnings of, you know, a professional atmosphere with right. pro. Right. And and early Mitchell, I think. Yeah. Very, very early Mitchell. This was his sixth game, I think. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we're better now. Oh yeah. We're, we're way better. And I think the margin needs to be greater. Uh, and, you know, watching Russia in the wreck, it really do that good. Uh, but you, you have to look at them, um, you know, sort of in a vacuum to really evaluate this is that, you know, they have professional rugby teams in Russia that compete in, you know, the challenge cup. Mm -hmm. So they're all like their whole team is, I think their entire team is professional. So they're all in daily training environments. So you can't really take them lightly yet. I want to put like 50 on these dudes. <laughs> Yeah, it would be a, a quite the upset if Russia was able to, you know, throw everything and the kitchen sink at us and somehow come out with a win. But 
honestly, I, I've seen so much improvement through the Eagles team over the last two years that I, I, I expect 30-plus uh, margin for the Eagles. That sounds about right. <laughs> um, and, you know, the seven weeks of Major League Rugby has done, I think, you know, that's that effect this year is uh, is going to pay dividends a lot earlier than I thought it would. I, I, you know, kept being cautious and I said, you know, it's really not about 2018. Yeah, it's right. About what we look like after the 2019 season. And, you know, with how the pl- how the Eagle pool players have performed in Major League Rugby, I think we're going to see, you know, just a significantly better team than we even saw during the ARC. Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, uh, Dave Hodges has been uh, the constant in that management group, and uh, he seems to be having good. I mean, plenty of success throughout the ARC, and and now with Gary Gold, uh, show hopefully having his uh, hand being seen in in, in the effects. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they're positive. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this match. I think it's going to be. Yeah, kind of like what Aaron said, it's going to be a good warm-up. It's just, hopefully it's just going to be fun. It'll be fun to see the guys gelling and seeing what this time in the pro circuit has um, meant for that camaraderie. And, uh, yeah, so we've got nothing but uh, good things to look forward to. Um, can somebody remind me, how can we re- how can we view this game? Is this one that's uh, going to be on flow? or I'm pretty sure this is on flow. And, you know, I think it's all TRC is supposed to exist till the end of the month. But everything I understand about the rugby channel is that thing is just, well, it's, we're, we're, they're shooting bullets in a dead body right now. I was able to watch some of the Wales uh, South Africa match on TRC. So, yeah, I think it's simulcast on Flow and TRC until the end of the month. And then, you know, the nail in. Rugby Channel's coffin gets finally hammered. And, I need uh, one of them. But I did find out something for next week. Ooh. USA Scotland is on CBS for those that uh, aren't going to the game. So on CBS Sports oh. Network, uh, there. You got to clarify that. On CBS Sports Network, uh, there is an MLR game at four. Yeah, at four. And then at 6, this is Eastern times, at 6 Eastern, there is an AFL game. Um, and then at 9 Eastern is when USA Scotland game is. I screenshotted it. <laughs> so I screenshotted the schedule. Okay? I have the evidence. Confirmed. <laughs> Corey. Yeah. We had some interesting tweets this week. <laughs> oh, boy, did we. Yeah, so I'm going to, with Victor taking the week off and Dan taking a few weeks off, I'm going to fill in with Tweet of the Week this week. So, um, yeah, we had, uh, there was a little bit of drama. Um, Always like to keep my box of popcorn close to me whenever I hop on the tweeters. It's a lot of fun out there. So, uh, ESPN sports writer uh, who covers football and uh, golf, uh, Kevin Van Valkenburg, uh, had tweeted out, I briefly watched college rugby today while getting a haircut because they wouldn't turn turn on golf. Conclusion, if you gave me a year, Urban Meyer, Zeke Elliott, J.J. Watt, 
and Leonard Fournette and an NFL practice squad, the U.S. would so thoroughly dominate rugby, other countries would quit. I think, uh, well, he had a point until he said Urban Meyer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what it it started out as. He tweeted that. um, It got picked up by a couple of the uh, rugby news sites and a couple of the influencers out there retweeted a few times. And next thing he knows, he's got himself – his inbox was filled up. Let's put it that way. I know he was approaching 500 comments uh, or replies by the time uh, I checked tonight, so it's it's still going. Uh, my favorite, though, uh, is came from uh, Martin Pengeli, friend of the show, and uh, Martin said uh, in response, briefly watched The Empire Strikes Back because they wouldn't turn on with Nail and I. Conclusion, if you gave me a year... Darth Vader, Captain Phasma, uh, some of those red Imperial Guard dudes, and a second-hand at-at walker, the Empire would so dominate Hoth, all the rebels would quit. So uh, he kind of he took the format and ran with it in just a delightful way. And uh, yeah, good job, Martin. I really, really appreciate that one. Uh, I really would have loved to see like 10... 10, you know, U.S. rugby fans take that and just run with a, a couple different versions of it. I like the Star Wars version, but I mean, you could see it, you know, a bunch of different ways. I love it. I yeah. did offer to hook him up with, uh, you know, I I would use my influence with the, uh, dire- you know, director of media for USA Rugby, Calder Cahill. Shout out, bro. Thanks for <laughs> uh, getting the press kit out. USA Rugby has been on top with the new media folks, so shout out to them for facilitating everything. But on to the next segment, Nick, this is why you were brought onto the show. Uh, the whole reason I was brought on is to, to share just how things have been growing uh, throughout, you know, since the beginning, really. I, I started tracking social media um, numbers, mainly on Facebook, since the time that uh, the league was announced in March around March, 2017, right about the time that Corey started, uh, the RML rugby, uh, Reddit. And we didn't have much at the time. I think we knew about Glendale. We knew about Houston kind of, but they didn't really have any social media to speak of. Uh, there wasn't even a, a Facebook page or Twitter page for major league rugby at the time, but, uh, we've really grown over the last, over the last year and still growing over this last month. As we see, Houston, uh, if we see right here on the left side, the Facebook numbers uh, out outmatch all the other social platforms. Uh, Houston sits around 25,000. Major League Rugby is right behind them. Glendale, Seattle, Utah, and then uh, New Orleans, Austin, uh, New Orleans, Austin, San Diego all kind of sit together around the 3,000, 6,000 mark, I believe. Uh, as for Twitter – uh, numbers stay a little lower. The league itself outmatches everybody, but everyone else stays around the 4,000 to 2,000 mark. And uh, Instagram, it really is the second largest platform that we have so far for followers. Houston and uh, Houston and the league follow each other pretty well so far. Uh, Utah actually has their, I think, their best uh, following on Instagram. 
as well as Seattle has been, has continued to grow in that area. Uh, New Orleans, Austin and uh, San Diego and Glendale, all follow each other there too. Um, and I'll talk about trends with that. Actually, I can talk about that now since I just went through all three of them. As you can kind of see through the, uh, through the early trends, Houston took a really big jump early on when they had their first, uh, their first exhibition games. That's right about the December, January mark right here where they uh, really jumped from, what is that? Around the 10,000 followers mark on Facebook to into the almost the 20,000 range. Uh, and major league rugby really didn't take that. Didn't have that big beneficial jump until the league started. The same could be said for, uh, for Seattle. They've had a very good consistent growth, but uh, they really got a good bump from, uh, from uh, the league itself starting. What I'm kind of surprised to 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 see or not see really is uh, any increases in these in these trends due to what I expected to see more of a uh, expected to see more of an increased trend due to TV numbers. <clears throat> um, obviously, before April, before. Yeah, April 21st when the league started, when the season started, we didn't have any TV to speak of for Major League Rugby or those extra, you know, all we had were, were, were social media platforms as far as uh, uh, marketing went. Uh, it's it's really interesting to me to see that the, the league itself has, has increased the trend. Uh, the Sabercats, the Glendale's kind of bumped up a little bit. Uh, Seattle's taken a good bump, but most of them have kind of stayed fairly steady Uh for their growth. Um, let's see. So for the last month, I, I generally, as some of y'all have seen on Reddit, I generally share these numbers at the, uh, uh, at the beginning of every month to speak to the growth over the past month. Uh, over the past month, Seattle has continued their, uh, their, their growth in Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter numbers greater than everyone else uh, to the tune of about a thousand where everyone else is staying around the two hundreds, three hundreds growth. And uh, our very own, our very own RML rugby has grown pretty substantially over the last two months. Uh, We got 200, 200 extra followers, 225 new followers on RML rugby over the last, uh, over the last month. So good job, Corey. Good job. uh, EOD. Y'all are doing great. Great. And, uh, I didn't. I didn't include this on my post earlier today, but uh, my favorite game to play month to month now is uh, how many followers did uh, did Pro lose over the last month? So it's a <laughs> little bit of shade and Freud on my on my on my part. But uh, from the time when the when the league started, they dropped about two hundred followers. This over this last month, they dropped another hundred. So uh, that's a uh, it's always a fun game to fun game to play. Um, I also. Uh, went ahead and wanted to share the the attendance numbers that we have up to date um these guys these aren't um most of these aren't accurate but a good number of them are as far as what uh what numbers have been shared with us as far as attendance goes as we can see seattle leads the uh leads the league in attendance obviously uh selling out their stadium over and over again and i mean they're averaging close to 110% 110% of their of their normal stadium capacity. Uh, I think Starfire holds 3,500. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, Aaron, that's correct. Yeah, and they're, they're averaging uh, about 10% higher than that number to uh, 
to uh, to really lead the league wonderfully. Gosh, their 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 home field advantage is insane. Uh, Utah's pretty close behind them though, numbers wise. Uh, their last game had four thousand people, four almost forty one hundred people at the game, and they still have two games left to go, two home games left to to be played there at uh oh is it Zion's Bank Stadium I believe it's called. Yeah, so they, uh, I could see them. I could, I, I could actually see them taking over the the average attendance number. Uh, that said, we are still waiting for Seattle to come through with their official numbers for the last two games. So it, it could be interesting to see who leads the league in average attendance uh, at the end of the season. It will be interesting to see. Uh, the other teams uh, are still very good. Uh, San Diego and Glendale are both complete guesses on my part. Uh, I've from watching the videos of their of their previous two games and their previous two home games, and uh, just trying my best to estimate based on the size of their stadiums, um, I can kind of guess that they're pulling around 2200, 2250. They're right around the same, it seems. Um, but I'm not sure. I really wish we could get uh, some real numbers from those guys. Um, let's see here. Houston are all. Full numbers. Uh, as we said, they uh, they've been on a pretty good linear trend, increasing here, increasing about a hundred uh, fans per match. But once they got a night game, that really jumped up. What is that? Another eight hundred uh, uh, people at that game. I'm, I can tell you from being there, it it, it felt great. I mean, it was uh, uh, that that whole side of the stadium we were on. I just saw a picture of it. I, I think on on Twitter. Uh, yesterday, that that entire state, that entire side of the stadium was full, and it, it sounded great. It looked great. It felt good to be in that uh, in that environment. Uh, but that's only twenty three hundred people. So relative to the other teams, it doesn't sound like a lot. But I mean, when your when your stadium uh, holds three thousand on one side, that's I mean that's what you can ask for, right? Uh, Austin numbers again. Uh, the first the seven hundred number for their first game is accurate. The other two are again, based off my estimations. So we can kind of say that they're around, around 1300 average per game. And uh, New Orleans is uh, directly from one of their, directly from a friend of mine that works for the gold. Uh, they're averaging about 1200, which is, I mean, I think that's respectable. I mean, it's, uh, I believe pro average 1700. I think someone said before today, um, so to average 1200 for the lowest is, uh, in my opinion, pretty dang good. And so we'll return. Uh, that is all I have to share, I believe, uh, guys. So Mr. Aaron, back to you. Thanks for coming on, uh, Nick. Uh, now on to our final segment. Uh, and this is more of an op-ed, uh, to, uh, I'll get to the, the op-ed after these other two things. So HR McMaster uh, had his first interview since leaving the Office of National Security Director and uh, advisor to President Trump, and it was all about rugby. And that was written by a friend of the show, Martin Pengeli, who works for as the managing editor of Guardian US Weekend. So that was cool to read. And all about the warrior ethos and, you know, military rugby, 
Really awesome stuff. And then DC MLR franchise is taking name suggestions. So if you just go onto Twitter and go at DC underscore MLR, you can give them your suggestions. Uh, you know, the boys on Reddit, you guys got after it and gave some serious and funny, uh, you know, stuff to, to give them. And they were very, uh, they were very happy about that, so they took those in. And then for the final thing is uh, I wrote a news article last week uh, when the story hit that uh, Will Chang, chairman of USA Rugby, and Rob King, vice chairman of USA Rugby, resigned. Their resignations came under pressure. Uh, Rob King's term was up, so he was going to be replaced in August. I think it was July or August, depending on when the Congress meet semi-annual Congress meeting was. And well, he's now straight up getting replaced because he's out. Uh, Will Chang had said he was going to retire. His term was not up until next year. Uh, he has uh, been forced to resign. Uh, he was facing a recall vote that would have been executed uh, tonight, as I understand, uh, as part of an emergency Congress meeting from the USA Rugby Congress. And, you know, uh, people talk about uh, him wanting to avoid conflict. Well, this is the guy who was the architect of RIM. Everything that RIM did, uh, you know, he's responsible for because he designed the business model uh, with Brian McClanahan and Chad Keck uh, after Nigel said, let's do this. And they ended up, you know, coming up with some harebrained ideas that made no sense, like the rugby channel, which has lost, you know, that lost them and their investors a lot of money. The Rim decided to, whether it was like throw all their eggs in a basket, but promote a test where they had to pay a lot of money to the Welsh Rugby Union and the South African Rugby Union that went down in RFK Stadium this weekend. And, you know, you talk to different people. Some people had a good time. I know a lot of people had a bad time. I'd say 15,000 went, but if you told, if we had this, say the DC United's like new facility was ready. We had this in that stadium on the same day as the CRC. And you told me we had two major rugby events, you know, within three hour drive of each other. And we were able to put 15,000 in a stadium. I would have called that a success, but we paid those two unions way too much money. When we had zero money in the bank, and you know that's just just something to let you guys know about. Um, if you're a dues-paying member of USA of USA Rugby, you know you know a club president. You know, talk to them, see what's going on, see if they know what's going on. Well, final thoughts, everyone. What do you guys got? I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go Eagles. Hey, Nick, tell us uh, where folks can find you. Oh, okay. folks can find me on, uh, on on Facebook. My name's Nick Henry. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at AggieRugger2010 and uh, on, on Reddit uh, at, at AggieRugger2010. Well, thank you so much again for being here. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful information that you were able to share with us and with our listeners, so thank you. Hey, I hope it, uh, hope it sheds some light on how things are growing. All right. Aaron, you got anything for us on the way out, my friend? Uh, no. Um, just uh, check out the discussion on the Reddit board uh, and hit us up on Twitter if you've uh, 
got anything burning in uh, you know the palm of your hand, and you want us to like chase down a rumor, and uh, we're pretty good at verifying things. So, yeah, and to that end, we're very accessible as well. You can find us um, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, all at Earful of Dirt. Uh, you can also email Earful of Dirt at gmail.com or visit our website, earfulofdirt.com. Uh, you can find our podcast. Our weekly podcast comes out every Wednesday night or every uh, Wednesday morning, rather. Sorry about that. It was Wednesday night last week because of the uh, holiday. Uh, every Wednesday morning, it's uh, ready for your commute, and it is available on iTunes, Acast, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, just about uh, every single uh, thing we can find out there. It's, it's available, and you can get us on your smart speaker at home. So just say, hey, Google, or uh, excuse me, Alexa, uh, play us that latest episode of Earful of Dirt, and uh, that'll happen for you. So... Finally, uh, be sure to give us a call, uh, share a voicemail, and we may share it on, on our show live. That number is 1-720-600-2679. That's, again, that's 1-720-600-2679. That's a U.S. domestic call. Uh, and we are live every Monday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. That's 9 p.m. where I'm at here in the middle of the country. Uh, yeah. Be sure to join us next week. It's always a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun having Nick with us this week. So thank you, guys. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Corey. That was Aaron. We got Josh. Thanks, Nick. Oh, and lest we forget, happy anniversary to our co-host, Aaron, or Aaron, God, uh, Victor, who is celebrating his fifth anniversary with his wife. So congratulations to him. It's a good excuse not to be on the show tonight. So congratulations, man. Um, and Aaron, you're not married. So no anniversaries for you. <laughs> okay, I'm going to shut up. Have a great week, everybody. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us.